Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning, and I'm excited for this topic. If you would, uh, stand with me and turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. There's some notes coming out to you, and uh, I hope you have a pen to write, because this is going to be a class today. I'm making learners. That's what we talked about last time I was up here, making learners of Christ. And we're going to talk about learning about the truth this morning. John chapter 18. And um, this is Jesus' trial. And in verse 33, it says, Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful and humbled, reminded this morning through the song we've just sung, that we, by your grace, have moved from death to life, from darkness to light, from a realm that is bounded and controlled by the evil one to become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Thank you, Father, for the transforming work of your word, not only as you have spoken it when you walked this earth, but as you have had it recorded perfectly infallibly so that we could know your mind so that we could come to grasp and move toward having the mind of christ for ourselves thank you that you have left us this record that gives light on our path that causes us to um, acknowledge our sin the 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 failings that we continue to have as uh, people in the flesh and to be able to acknowledge them and confess them so that we can be right with you Thank you, Father, for your word, which is life to us. And as we open it this morning, we pray that our minds would be cleansed, our hearts would be renewed, and that, Father, we would um, be revived afresh to follow you wholeheartedly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This question of Pilate. Thank you. Somebody was... Somebody's on the ball there. I was just thinking. This question that Pilate says, what is truth? That is the great philosophical question in many college classes, is it? High school classes, what is truth? If you take a philosophy class, you'll have that question asked, and then there will be attempts to answer it. The thing about this question from Pilate, it is off by one degree. He asked the wrong question. Standing right in front of him, he said, Who is, he should have said, Who is truth? Who is truth? Not what is truth. 
that one degree shows that he really didn't care for the answer because he walks away. He doesn't even wait for Jesus to respond. It's an important question to ask, is it not? Today we're going to try to look at truth, try to lift it up as a beautiful diamond, look at it from multiple perspectives, see how the brightness of the wisdom of God shines out of it. We're going to see that we do have kingdoms that are in conflict, a kingdom of truth and a kingdom of falsehood in all its various manifestations. We're going to look at two princes, two realms, two loves, two outcomes and experience. We're going to see the relationship between truth and light and the basis of present and final judgment. We do have two princes at work. The Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, and actually in the Greek it says very exclusively, I and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus described as the one who is the representation of the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and several other places in, in Revelation, Jesus is described as the one who is holy and true. Meaning, those things put together is, you know, a lot of times we talk about truth, but we have lots of little bits of error. It's compromised. It's contaminated. But the holy one who is also true has no vestige of error, no imperfection in his word. And of course, this world, on the other hand, is dominated by the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us. I like to put the airways too, because that's the way that Satan likes to work today. The air. He does. He has a realm in the atmosphere that surrounds this world, and he dominates it in many, many ways. As our brothers just said, in China, very great domination of the work of Satan there. John chapter 8 says, whenever Satan speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We're going to look at, in a while at all the different ways that falsehood works its way out in our experience, in our, in our own lives, in the world around us. And these two princes are vying right now the gospel was trying to go forth in truth and in power and wake people up to their condition so that they might be saved and satan is working his hardest through demonic doctrine false teaching false philosophies isms to blind and control and darken the understanding of human beings that they not come to believe in the glorious gospel one day there will be a king. We talk about Jesus being the king of kings. Right now, he's not yet been exalted to that place in reality. Of course, the Father's exalted him, Philippians chapter 2. But physically speaking, one day he will be exalted, not just as God the ruler, but as the God-man the ruler. He will be the king of kings. He will sit on a throne and rule and reign. There are two realms existing for these princes. There is a heavenly kingdom. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This heavenly kingdom started, Jesus said, he was talking about many times a kingdom 
that had come to earth that was actually in their midst. Not the kind that people expected, not even his own disciples kind of understood. They thought there was going to be some kind of physical establishment, of some kind of political entity. But he says, the kingdom is in your midst, meaning I'm here. I've brought the kingdom here to this earth, and I begin to build it and move it forward. Hebrews chapter 12, he says, verse 18, For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word should be spoken to them. For they cannot bear the commandment if even a beast touches the mountain that will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Looking back to the giving of the law, God actually like writing truth into a rock and putting order into society, their particular society, the nation of Israel. He says, but instead, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. He's basically saying, you can't see it, but it's there, it's real. And you're enrolled. You're a citizen of that realm. Jesus rules. And when we call Him Master, when we call Him Lord, and when we execute His commandments in this world, we are bringing the kingdom come like we're told to pray, right? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as what? It also is in heaven. God is in the midst of bringing heaven to earth. In small progressive measures in one day, it's going to come in a cataclysmic way. We're told in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and we await the return of our king. On the other hand, Satan does have a cosmos. He does have an orderly arrangement and he is very smart, very intelligent very insightful from all the years of observation, and he is devising wickedness with structure and his own sense of order. It's not only ideas, we we talk about the cosmos, it's not only ideas and philosophies, but it's the authority structure, it's the agenda, both in the physical and the spiritual realm. If you go back to Daniel, it talks about princes, the prince of Persia. It's not talking there in those contexts about the physical person that sat. He's talking about the demonic ruler that was energizing and directing and filling the mind and heart of the one who was executing. Do we think there's rulers over the government of China? I think so. I just have to look at the work. We just have to hear what our brother just said. A verse on a wall. You're going to jail. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that this arrangement includes rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness. Satan's got a great array of an army. And he works it out. 
He works it out in lots of places. He works it out in our government. He works it out in our schools. He works it out in our advertising. He's always telling us lies because He's trying to dominate us. He's trying to hold the world where it is, but He's trying to hinder us from moving forward. There are two loves here. There is the love of the truth. There is the love of the truth. When you see people that are energized by the revelation of God that has come to them, that has affected them, spirit, soul, and body, we have what passes out of the mind and the heart and the pen in Psalm chapter 119. It's an ode that is passionate about God's Word. Oh, how I love Thy law! Is my meditation day and night? And on and on and on it goes for hundred, over 100 verses. Objectively, truth, our most reliable truth comes from the revelation of God. God spoke and men were moved to write accurately what He said. First Peter says. Consequently, there's also a coherence between revealed truth, that is what God has spoken, and natural observable truth. That's true science. That's real inquiry. Scientific inquiry of, of scientists in your past where they looked in the natural realm and then they went, or they looked many times to the Scriptures. Matter of fact, you read a lot of scientists that look to the Scriptures. Then they went to the natural realm and looked to find that those things would cohere. They used the Scriptures as a divine over what they observed. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's amazing, isn't it? If we taught the academic disciplines correctly, that's why some of us may be homeschool, if we taught them correctly, math should lead us to God. History should lead us to God. Sociology should lead us to God. Philosophy should lead us to God. That's how it should be. But we have a kingdom that wants to distort and divide and darken. Subjectively, the truth needs to move from the objective of the revelation and needs to be internalized. Turn to Psalm 51. Verse 6, Psalm 51, what does David say? Behold, thou dost desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part thou wilt make me know wisdom. That's what God wants. He wants it not just to be out there. He wants it to be in here. Psalm chapter 15, love this chapter. Who may abide in thy tent? Who may dwell in thy holy hill? Basically, the psalmist is saying, who can have fellowship with God? What is the first thing he says? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. God wants the truth to be here and then here. We are to serve. These are all things that in the New Testament we'll find. I'm sorry I don't have the passages, but hey, get your concordance out. Do it as a word study this week. 
These are just some highlights that as believers, our engagement with the truth, we're to serve in truth, we're to worship in spirit and truth, John chapter 4. We're to walk in truth. We are to be sanctified in truth, um, John 17. And Ephesians chapter 4, we're to speak the truth in love. It's, it's the air that we're supposed to breathe. It should be ever-present around us. On the other hand, if we look at the other kingdom, what do they love on that side of the, the aisle? They love the lie. The lie. All other lies proceed out of this lie. It, go, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. And what is the lie? Oh, if you take of that fruit, Eve, you'll be like God, and you will know good and evil. Basically, you'll be equal with God. And that lie has been retold, repackaged, and it's alive and well today. People want to be their own God. They want to make their own decisions. They want to go their own way. It's all kind of ingrained in us as well. We have to fight that urge. This is the worship of man's wisdom. And, you know, I've had higher education, but I say, young people, have your eyes and ears wide open. Because there is a system that wants to exalt the mind, the discoveries, the insights, the accomplishments of man. One of those manifestations that we'll talk about, there's several here, but one of the primary ones that kind of works its way out philosophically is the philosophy of relativism. It's an attack on truth. It's a frontal attack on truth. It basically says that truth is divine through me. Because I, I can discover truth on my own. It is a false supposition that all truths are equal. Hey, that's, that's, your, that's your view? Great. That's great. I have something different. And, you know, internally most people think mine's better than yours, but they'll say egalitarianly that, well, you know, we all have our own truth. We're all going our own way. You know, Good going, brother. You do your thing. I'll do mine. It never ends that way. Ultimately, somebody is competing. Some worldview is competing with another. Somebody believes their truth ultimately is better than yours. But it starts here with this lie. It dismisses the finiteness of sinful humanity and our inability to know everything perfectly on our own. We need outside input. This side, this side of this kingdom manifests itself in outright lies, in deception, which is to put a certain kind of appearance that leads people to come to a different conclusion or a conclusion that's erroneous. Uh, I think was a VBS doing the Ten Commandments. What's the Ninth Commandment? Actually, thank you. Bear false witness. Lying is one thing. I can lie to you. But bearing false witness technically is, I'm telling a lie under oath, and I'm harming the truth. I'm harming justice. It's a much deeper thing. Slander. Slander is to actually tell the truth, intentionally trying to hurt somebody. 
It's a distortion of the truth. Then there's cover-ups, propaganda, hypocrisy. You know how hypocrisy is? It's wearing a mask. I do. Oh, wearing a mask. Interesting. It's wearing a mask. It's wearing a mask and then being some, something different in another place. It's the total opposite of integrity, where a person of integrity is the same no matter where they are. They're one, whether they're in their prayer closet or they're in the public. And censorship, what a censorship is. Let's crush the truth. I'm, you're a little more optimistic than I am, brother. I, I think we're in trouble here. I think we're in trouble here. I gave you notes this morning. I want you to have something physical. I, you know, and keep your physical Bibles, people. What's going to happen when they shut down Bible Gateway because it's a problem? People are finding truth there. They turn off your internet. Oh, that doesn't happen. Oh, doesn't it? How about that? There are two outcomes in experience here. Truth leads to freedom. John chapter 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It'll deliver you. That's the beauty of having a heart that goes after truth. We find freedom there. On the other hand, turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to spend some time here because this is laying out how the gospel attacks the devil's kingdom in terms of reaching into people's lives. Romans chapter 1. Of course, you have this treatise of faith. Verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who do what? They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They layer their wickedness on top of it so it can never get out. They crush it down in their conscience. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly um, seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. One of the things that's great about freedom is it's not just a spiritual thing. Free people spiritually begin to long for it in their experience. Freedom is preserved by justice or the true expression of law. Not law that's changeable, that's at the dictates of somebody in power. And that's the beauty of our form of government. The wise people that set our government up said that basically everyone is under the law. The top leader on down, everybody's under the law. Nobody's above the law. Where did they get that concept? From ancient Israel. That's where they got it. Matter of fact, if you go back and read some of the law, 
the law books that are in the library that tell you all about the annotated code of Maryland, I did this years ago, you will find there is a lot of basis in those original documents that comes right out of the Bible. They basically said, we're not wise enough to figure this all out and to create a good society. Let's start with the Bible. And we're experiencing a great devolution away from that. You see, <clears throat> kingdoms are really in conflict. And there will be conflict. There's either three outcomes when the truth engages. The first is that, and the beautiful thing that hopefully the church strives for, is that there can be unity in the truth. That we all hold this together and care about it equally. Or, there can be conflict over the truth. And Jesus did not shy away from this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't. I came to bring a sword. A sword we know is His words, right? You remember when I taught Luke chapter 4, they talked about His gracious words, but they also talked about His authoritative words. And he spoke directly, and he stopped, he, he stopped the train of lies that the Jewish, Jewish rulers had been telling the people for years and years and years. And they woke up and began to marvel. The third outcome is there can be unity in error. There can be unity in error. Wow, that's dangerous. Everybody united around something that's wrong. Just quickly, Paul's talking about false teachers in Titus in 2 Timothy, and he's warning the believers there, and he's calling Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. He says, these are men who turn away from the truth. These are men who are always learning and ever, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, I've actually taken some classes in and secular system, and boy, is it true. You have people that can sound so intellectual, and you're like, what? Your jaw's dropping, things that you hear in a class. And I'm, I'm glad there's believers out there in these systems fighting the good fight. But a lot of these things have just like been so saturated with deception. Young people, beware. This kind of path leads to bondage following after errors and false teaching and false philosophies it leads to bondage that is usurpation of body and soul sometimes by manipulation people try to convince you of something sometimes by coercion is that happening today you can't have your job unless what? Yeah. Wake up, wake up, people. It's happening. Thankfully, there are people all over the world that are fighting back about this. Or what about force? When manipulation, coercion don't work, we have what we have in China. You're out of here. You're there. You don't go here. There's a wonderful relationship in the Scriptures between truth and light. 
And John chapter 3, turn there please, because we're going to see this contrasted. We'll see the two kingdoms wrapped up in two verses. How does this work its way out? Jesus, again, gives us all the insight we need. In verse 20, let's take the right-hand column first. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. People don't want to have the truth told about their condition. This is people. When you're out on the street preaching sometimes. <laughs> this is people just beating a path away. This is people when you knocked on doors and they got shut. Don't tell me, don't tell me this. I don't want to be exposed. But that's their only hope. That's anybody's only hope. You have to face the fact that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. First step of the Gospel. Some people don't want to hear it. Turn to Ephesians. Stay there a second. Turn over the page. Well, it's over my page. But notice the difference. But he who practices what? The truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Two kingdoms, two choices, two perspectives, two hearts. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, or excuse me, chapter 5. In verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, notice the things they're talking about, a whole litany of the works of the flesh, sins, immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, covetousness, idolatry. Let no one deceive you with empty words, but for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of a light consists in all goodness and righteousness and what? Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That's where there's going to be some conflict, people. You know what? I've shared the gospel, and you're going to find out pretty soon where it's going to go when you start talking to people about their personal sin. And you say, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, of course, everybody. Then you're a liar, right? People that tell lies are liars. Do you know what God says about lies? That sword is going to create conflict or it's going to create submission. It's going to create brokenness. And we have to be willing to be in that fight. The truth, George Washington said, the truth will ultimately prevail where there are pains to bring it to light. It's painful to bring truth to light. You know why? Same where Jesus said to his disciples, if this is what you stand for, you're going to be hated just like I was hated. Try it sometime. People don't want to hear the truth. Finally, the truth is the basis of present and final judgment. Let's take 
the right-hand column first again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about days that we're moving quickly toward. Verse 8, well, let's back up. He says, verse 6, And you know what restrains him, that is this wicked ruler that will one day come? Do you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, the world leader that's coming, the world leader that's coming one day. The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and will bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not what? Receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That's really what happens in the transaction of faith. And I can remember sitting in a chapel service, 1978, Arlington Baptist, where God took the scales down off my eyes. A church boy, a good guy, Christian parents, went to Christian school, 11th, 11th grade, and all of a sudden, I was revealed by the truth. And I saw I'd been a fake and a phony and a game player, saying what people wanted to hear. But inside, God said, you're an angry, you're selfish, you're a fleshly, you're a greedy person, and you need me. I love that truth. I love that truth that came to me that day. He didn't receive it so as to be saved. You know, as believers, we're still being judged by the truth. And um, next time we have communion and we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we talk about the Lord's Supper there. We're told that if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That is, when we allow the truth to put the mirror back up against us, and those moments when we're, when we're thinking about what's really ultimately true, that core truth of the gospel, that we're sinners, first of all, that we're people that fall short, that, couldn't, that, that the daily sin, that, that still screw up. But the, that's not all the truth. When we come to the Lord's table, the rest of the truth is, but you've been saved by grace. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. And it's not meant to crush us down. It's meant to spur us on. You look at the Lord's table that way. Hey, this is my opportunity to clear the slate with God once again and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not living out my calling. I'm not living out my identity. I want to hate the things that God hates and I want to love the things that God loves. You see, we're going to be judged, and if you look in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, that, that 
that the same God that's one day going to bring a sword out of his mouth to slay the wicked, it says that that's the very same Jesus that walks among the churches in those two chapters, and he's judging and evaluating. And he's saying, there's things I don't like that I see. And there's other things that I need to commend you on. And so we need to realize that this truth, the Word of God, is the standard that we're measured by. And we need to come to it. And back to the arrow above. How are we doing in serving in truth and worshiping in truth and walking in truth and being sanctified and set apart by truth and speaking the truth and love of one another? Are we engaged with this beautiful thing called the truth? If we judge ourselves, we not be judged by the Lord. What is our relationship to the truth? Not the objective, but the person. Do we love Him with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength? All those realms infused and saturated by this. We, you've often heard, well, you know, yeah, you should read your Bible. You should read your Bible. Yes, that's the start. But meditation, mulling it over, coming back to it again and again, making it your own, that is the goal. And when I don't do it, I miss out. When you don't do it, you miss out. And we make ourselves susceptible. Let's come before the Lord. Our Father, we are so grateful that you continue to work in us, perfecting us, sanctifying us, making us more like yourself. We pray, Lord, that you would just help us to have hearts that long after you, that we would have the same passionate response to your revelation as a psalmist of 119. We thank you so much, Lord, that you have entrusted us with the message, with the Scriptures. And so help us to be bold. Help us to not shrink back, but to follow you with whole hearts. We pray in Christ's name.